This is Jeremy McFarland for the Footballers Family Podcast. There are certain events in your life when you can remember what you were doing, where you were, and what you were thinking when they took place. These events may only shape your life, but there are other events that can shape a nation. Over the past year, obviously, we've been in the middle of a pandemic, one that has tested all of us, one that has killed many, many people, and one that has caused us to treasure small moments, to treasure our family, and to treasure everyday life more than we ever did before. You would think that sports would be the furthest thing from our minds, but in reality, sports have helped us. Sports have allowed us to cheer, to get our minds off world events, and has allowed us to smile and hope once again. Sports truly have a healing effect on a nation in need of healing. Today, we're going to talk with our friend Clayton Truder. His events and knowledge of history come into play as we talk about how sports, the NFL specifically, have helped America recover from events like World War II, Desert Storm, 9-11, and the COVID crisis we are right in the middle of. I can't thank him enough for making this episode great. Please subscribe to this podcast and all the other great podcasts on the Sports History Network. And while you're at it, please give it a five-star review on your podcast station of choice. And if you would like to be featured on this podcast, drop me a message on Twitter at Jeremy underscore McFarland or on the Footballers Family Facebook page. And I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the Footballers Family Podcast. And I have a returning guest. Would you like to reintroduce yourself to everybody? I certainly would, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. My name is Clayton Truder. I... Uh, I teach uh, U.S. history at Norwich University in Northfield, Vermont. I hold a Ph.D. in U.S. history from Boston College. I write about college basketball and college football for SB Nation's Down the Drive. It's their Cincinnati Bearcat Cat, the uh, Peach Bowl runner-up uh, blog. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, uh, I, I, I am the Vermont State Chairman of the Society for American Baseball Research, and I have a book uh, coming out this fall about the history of professional sports uh, in Atlanta. And I, and I am getting a signed copy. I just, I'm just throwing that out to you, Clayton. Oh, oh, looking forward to sending you one. Please do. Please And do. coming back on the show to talk about it and promote it. Oh, absolutely. We'll have you back on. I don't, I don't mind having guests on three or four times as long as they, uh, you know, as long as they send me signed copies of books, I'm cool with it. Oh, no doubt. And I'd like to plug my Twitter handle, which is at C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-T-R-U-T-O-R. I enjoy looking at your Twitter that you put up there. And every now and then I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, okay. See, you, you keep up with the finer uh, details of sports that I don't always see. And that's what I appreciate about following your, your Twitter account. Well, thank you. Thank. I mean, I mean, a lot of it's about sports history stuff, which is a big area of my interest and big area of my focus. So yeah, I, I go off in a lot of directions. And I, I appreciate your reading. No, I, I, I keep up with it. I follow it. Uh, every time it pops up, I have to give it a like because it just it's it just makes my day that much better, Clayton. That's that's very kind of you to say. I don't think everybody feels that way about it, but uh, uh see, see, we only hear the negative in life, and <laughs> life's too short. Uh, you know, life's too short. Uh, but you know, kind of get to our topic. Um, I was I was thinking, and, and you you popped up in my head because I think you've helped me out with a couple books. Um, on World War, uh, not World War II, but the war, let's try that again, the the war that made America, I believe you suggested that mm -hmm. book to me, yep. uh, and I have read it three times now. Wow. 
Uh, it's a book over the Seven Years' War, but the war leading up to it, or the French and Indian War, which is mm -hmm. fantastic. So um, you have led me in some directions. In fact, I'm reading it again. I just It's just fascinating. I just I, you, you learn new stuff as we go. And I was thinking about uh, what, how can sports help us in times like this? And, of course, this is 2021. I don't think COVID got the message that 2020 ended. No, no. And uh, we are living in a world where uh, I was watching the Titans game yesterday, and uh, I scared my daughters when I was jumping up and down screaming at a kick, and they thought that I was crying, <laughs> but I was just kind of excited. Um, but we're living in a world where we have empty seats, and the Super Bowl is going to look really weird this year. Oh, oh my uh, God, yeah. We have cardboard seat uh, cutouts in the seats. And I was thinking that this is not the only time where we can look back at um, sports and see how it has helped us through some hard times. So I have suggested about four different occasions, and we're going to talk. Well, let's go ahead and start with COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. it, and again, this is 2021. If you are listening in a future world in uh, 2020, 2019, uh, out, of, out of China, is pretty much where it's been tracked to a disease and a virus came out that pretty much wiped, uh, wiped over the world. It's killed thousands of people, made a lot of people that we know sick. Um, it's very contagious. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm reading as well. And I probably shouldn't have read this because it kind of makes you a little bit more concerned, but I'm reading a book over the 1919 pandemic of the Spanish oh, yes. flu. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar, not the same disease, but it's very similar in how they dealt with the Spanish flu and how we're dealing with COVID now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you wear the mask. That may or may not help. You wash your hands. For goodness sake, please wash your hands. Uh, but we're avoiding people uh, in, in large, you know, large groups of people in tight spaces social distancing. And I thought that was a new term. It wasn't, they were doing it back then. Um, what do you think, Clayton? I, I guess what I'm trying to say is what do you think, uh, how has sports helped us through COVID? Well, I think it's certainly provided a, a needed rhythm to people's lives. And I certainly in my own, um, my own experience, I can say this, that for months you just sort of felt like to me, felt like you were drifting. There weren't a lot of particular events to look forward to. People's working lives were very strange, myself included. Finally, when sports came back, particularly football, because because it's my favorite sport, I had the weekly rhythm of following the New York Jets, my team, following college football, writing about college football. So to me, it has provided as much of a sense of normalcy as anything that's gone on. And I think back even in the flu epidemic, that's certainly true as well. I saw a number of pictures of college football fans in 1919 sitting with masks on in the stands watching games. So I think the people in that time period felt the, felt the exact same thing. Um, I think in terms of uh, having a sense of, of feeling normal, watching football, even though there's weird aspects to it with nobody in the crowd, with cardboard cutouts, with the piped-in sound, which I really hate. I still don't understand what the purpose of that is, why they're having pretend crowd noise. But nonetheless, when I'm watching a football game, I'm watching a football game. I'm sitting around. I'm not a good person to watch a football game with. I'm sitting around watching it, pretending I'm the offensive coordinator and stuff. I'm very analytical about it. I don't, I don't say a lot. I'm just kind of watching very intently. I'm watching it no differently in 2020 than I was in 2019, 2018, 
2002, whatever. So I think it, having a sense of just being, uh, ha- having one's normal rhythms of life has to me been the most important part of sports in these last uh, few months, particularly since football season came around. And there's certainly been many challenges about it. Um, Joe Judge, the Giants coach, spoke quite articulately about it earlier today, talking about how upset he was with what the Eagles were pulling last evening, that people put so much effort into this to get a season off, made so many sacrifices that it was disgraceful to, to pull what they apparently pulled uh, last evening. So I, I think all of the effort has proven very successful in simply having a season. To me, every single game that gets played every week was a victory in and of itself. If they complete a Super Bowl, even more of a victory for everybody, I think, even though it certainly feels strange, the whole thing. It does feel strange. Uh, you know, come back, uh, looking at it from here in Tennessee, uh, the Titans were under about two weeks of quarantine. They just – it went through mm-hmm. that, that that area like uh, wildfire. Mm-hmm. And – you know, they, the NFL, I mean, how often do you see a Tuesday night game? Oh my, yeah. I mean, in a strange way as a fan, it was kind of nice having a game on Tuesday nights, but at the same time, it's really weird. I mean, it throws your week off kind of thing. I kind of was, I mean, to me, they play too many nights a week anyway. So it just kind of, you know, kind of added more to that, to that whole phenomenon that's been going on anyway. But yeah, it's been very strange the degree of flexibility that teams showed in terms of rescheduling games and the league facilitating this struck me too. Uh, I mean, guys frequently have sat around for six months thinking about a game, getting prepared for it. Then all of a sudden, two days later, they have an opponent they didn't expect. Even more so at the college level where teams are calling athletic directors up, scheduling games, you know, Coastal Carolina and BYU scheduling a game 48 hours later playing it. Uh, it's it's just such a strange strange phenomenon. And I've been impressed by the flexibility of so many people in football to make the game happen, whether it's at the college level or at the pro level. I haven't followed it around the country in the high school sense as, as much, but certainly I think that's been the case there as well. My son's high school team, uh, the Waverly Central High School uh, Tigers, he plays in the band, but he uh, – they didn't travel. Um, hmm. The band didn't travel. Uh, and we had games where we, you know, they had fans in the, in the stands. And I was like, you know what? This kind of isn't a good thing. Yeah. But I, I basically stood off to the side because the last thing I want to get is COVID to give to my grandparents. You know, I don't want that. Um, but the one thing, you know, when you think of, and, and the book is called The Great Influenza by John Barry. It was, it's an amazing and scary book, but, uh, you know, it opens your eyes to a lot of things. Um, the thing about COVID that really got to me is how, like you said, how flexible things truly are, uh, where you're saying, well, you know what? We may not know what's going to happen in two days. Mm-hmm. We might not know that, you know, Denver Broncos had issues where they didn't have a quarterback. Yeah. And I believe his name was Hinton. I want to say that was his name. Uh, he did as, as admirable yeah, as he can. Absolutely. I mean, it, cert- it certainly made it hard. I, I didn't really have a rooting interest in, in that game. It made it hard not to root for that guy in that particular outcome when he's just out there playing off the street, essentially. Well, you know, that's one of the things that you can't really judge him for how bad it was because he was put in a, in a no-win situation. Absolutely, as as so many players have been this year. I mean, I think about... I feel like the Steelers had their games changed like four or five weeks in a row. Yeah, that would be you know, the Titans different things happening. Yeah. yeah, that would be the it Titans. It was really game. crazy. Well, what got me is Ben Roethlisberger was all mad about it, but guess what happened when the Steelers got COVID? Exactly, yeah. So I said, you got to be careful when you judge others 
because it could happen to you pretty quickly. Oh, no doubt about it. And, and it certainly, and, as you're saying, it happened many times this season. Absolutely. So you just have to be flexible about it. And you don't want – you may be able to withstand it. The, the COVID virus can be – you know, a lot of people have recovered from it, but you may not be the one that gets hurt by it. You yeah. might give it to somebody else. And that, and that's the big thing. I'm, I'm sitting in my office here at the church I work at, and mm-hmm. we spent two or three weeks where we didn't even meet. Mm-hmm. And then we met out in the parking lot where everybody stayed in the church because we have, you know, healthy people. And then mm-hmm. we have people who are in their seventies that what happens if they got it? We didn't want to do that. So, but COVID is one of the things that, and you're right. It's having normalcy, having something to look forward to, but let's go back in time to 19. 19- oh, one of the things, one yeah. other thing I wanted to say about COVID too, that's yeah. always yeah. struck me throughout this frequently when there's a crisis, People want to find a way to pitch in and do something. What's so weird about this is basically you're being told to do nothing. That your way of helping out is basically sitting by yourself, doing nothing, avoiding people, which just goes against, I think, in many ways, the best impulses of people. It people, is. I think most people want to have the opportunity to do something where they're helping, but really the only thing you can do to help is really not doing anything. So it's, I think, been very psychologically difficult in that respect for people. It is. Um, maybe you've seen the meme. Uh, Clayton, where they has how people saved the world in 1940. They had them storming the beaches in Normandy. Yeah, yeah. And then today, how I'm saving the world is I'm playing Madden on the PlayStation. <laughs> I haven't seen that, but I, yeah, that's that's fantastic. I, I'll have to send it to you when I find it, but it's it's true, it's true. And uh, if you're like me, uh, I've had to take a button or so off my pants with all the uh, vanilla wafers that I've been. Oh, eating. no doubt. No doubt. Uh, but hopefully, and you know, we're, we're doing this in January with the January 4th. Uh, hopefully by June or July, we can get somewhat back to normal. Who knows? Let's, let's hope so. Let's certainly hope so. Uh, but let's, tr- let's go back in time to 1991. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in fifth grade at this time. And I want to say this was the case that I didn't know where Kuwait was. Oh, I don't think anybody did. I think foreign policy experts didn't. All of a sudden, it was a hot-button issue, though. It was. Uh, we have to save Kuwait. Now, if you don't know the situation behind this, in 1990, um, after, what, about eight or nine years of war between Iran and Iraq, Saddam Hussein, who was the leader of Iraq, was desperate for money. He mm-hmm. was broke. And when you're a dictator and you have no way to pay people to stay, so you can stay dictator, what do you do? Well, you kind of point your finger and said, you know what? We're going to go take that little country over, call Kuwait, and take their oil. Mm -hmm. And he did. Uh, And, of course, the Americans and several other uh, countries uh, built up the armed forces in Saudi Arabia all around the place and called it Desert Shield. Well, I have the date here, and I can remember this like it was yesterday. January 17, 1991, Desert Storm took place. And if you ever watch some of the videos on YouTube, uh, it is amazing what our boys and girls can do when mm-hmm. they have a purpose in, in, uh, in mind. Oh, they, they, they took control of that pretty quickly. Absolutely. I was in, in fourth grade at the time, and I remember following it. I mean, my, my two interests were like the NFL and then the Gulf War pretty much. I mean, so I was totally in the mindset. Those were the two All things right. that I was following at that Did age. Did you ever buy the uh, Gulf War trading cards? I have, I have a, a binder of them. See, I'll I, have to, I'll, 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 I'll tweet you a picture of you, them later you today. Do that. I can't remember where I had them. They may be 
long gone, but I had about two or three packs of them. And I thought they were pretty cool. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. Like by like 93, they were really cheap. And at the Ben Franklin near my house, they were like 40 cents a pack or something of that. Oh, book. Okay. Had, like an upper deck pack of baseball cards was 250 or something. So I was loading up on the Gulf War cards. Well, see that. And that's when they really introduced the, uh, the B1. Uh, I believe it was the B1 that they introduced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the uh, F-117. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when they flew those uh, stealth planes over over Baghdad, you watch the anti-aircraft guns firing off, but they're not going to hit anything. They're already mm-hmm. going. Yeah. But how does this uh, apply to sports? Um, January the 25th, 1991, Super Bowl 25. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was the uh, Cowboys and Bills. I'm going to say no, that. No, no, Bills, Bills, Giants. Bills, Giants. Yes, yes. The yep. Cowboys, Bills would be later on. Okay, Bills, Giants. Um, that game is memorable for a lot of reasons, but it started out with probably the greatest rendition of the national anthem of all time. Oh, yeah. Whitney Houston's fantastic, certainly. And, it, you know, she walks out in a tracksuit, which is 1990 for you. Indeed. And, and you think, well, what is she going to do? She, I'm not a big Whitney Houston fan, but I give respect where respect is due. She brought the house down. Oh, it was very emotional, very dramatic. And it was a moment when people were ready to respond to that as well, certainly. You see, uh, they, they had uh, American flags around. And you mm-hmm. there's a there was a close-up of an older man. And he probably served in World War II or Korea. Mm-hmm. And he is just bawling and you think well men won't cry you you don't judge people he probably has seen some things in his life sure and how do you think that uh how do you think the super bowl helped us during that time well i I think it was you had these kind of two massive cultural events happening you have the the end of that football season which was a great season too because you had you would have had two teams 12 and 0 I think it was at one point both the 49ers and Giants yes battling down in the NFC you had the Bills team who looked like they themselves could be a dynasty so you had a public very focused on this excellent football season with these two these two uh great teams the Giants and Bills actually it was the first time you had two teams from the same state in the Super Bowl against each other in Super Bowl 25. I mean, I guess the Giants are technically in New Jersey. Uh, I wasn't going to bring that up, but you know. But basically, basically two teams from the same state yeah. in the Super Bowl together, which was which added a, a layer of interest in that in that part of the country. At the same time, you have the Gulf War going on. So I, th- I think you have people strongly focused on this very serious news event, um, which was a unifying force in the culture. Then at the same time, you have this football game, which in many ways I think served to reinforce the sense of cultural unity that came out of that moment. So football strikes me as, as reinforcing the tendency towards social unity at that moment, uh, at that, at that moment anyway, Uh, it turned out to be a rather, rather, rather brief war, but nobody knew that going in. My recollection at the time is people said, is this going to be another Vietnam? Are there going to be tens and thousands of American casualties? It it didn't turn out that way, but, but certainly nobody, you, you couldn't have known that going in. And there were a lot of people who were very you know, concerned. A lot of people were that concerned that Saddam was going to unleash chemical warfare. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one thing that I appreciate about that particular Super Bowl is that football kept things in perspective. Mm-hmm. They were, they realized that they are playing a game, mm-hmm. but they respected the bigger picture. And we're going to look at that in just a second about another event that really um, hit home when it came to 
how events during in the real world plays into sports. But mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember that game because of how patriotic things were and how we mm -hmm. look back and said, you know what? It's okay to be an American. You know, we might be Giants fans. We might be Bills fans, but we were all in this together. Mm -hmm. and, and it was just a fantastic game too. I believe it was the first one. It was a one point mark. It was what, 20 to 19. I think it was. You have, of course, the Norwood missed field goal. Um, both teams looked very strong coming out of that game. I mean, the whole narrative of the Bills losing all those Super Bowls in a row didn't exist then. Mm -hmm. I think people came out of that and thought this might be a team that could be could end up being a dynasty. I guess in a strange way they kind of are, having been to all those Super Bowls in a row. But uh, um, yeah, the Bills were taken very seriously. There was none of the he he. They're going to lose all the get pounded by the Cowboys and Redskins and stuff in the Super Bowl at that point. So it was a fantastic game too, which I think also added to the. Uh, I guess the uh, what a dramatic event it was too. Now, let's hop to another topic. Do you remember where you were on January, uh, September eleventh, two thousand and one? Absolutely, I was um, actually I was sitting in a college library reading my Middle Eastern history textbook. You and live I, a I, happy, happening life there, my friend. I I I, uh, I, I leave the uh, I leave the library and. Uh, Hold my textbook and uh, go into class, and I had no idea what had happened until people around me started telling me. Uh, so that was that was my uh, very very odd uh, nine eleven, I guess. Do you um, do you have that emphasis on Middle East in your no, life? No, I just happened to be. Ta I mean, I happened to be taking a class. It, 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 it was something that had been of interest to me, and I was. Uh, I guess it was, a, it was. I think I was a junior in college at the time, and uh, it. it, it turned out to be a very opportune time to take the class. Um, but uh, did that yeah, help I, I mean, it just, it just was happenstance really. Did that help you make sense of it a little bit more? I think a little bit. It gave me, it gave me a better sense of the region's history. Certainly. Um, if nothing else. Um, I was in uh, my apartment in Warner, Rod Warner Robins, Georgia. I just graduated college just uh, uh, about four months earlier and, and moved mm -hmm. down there and I get a call you need to see what's going on. And I mm -hmm. turned on TV and the first plane had hit the world trade center. And I thought, well, you know, what's going on here. And then all of a sudden you see the second plane hit. Mm -hmm. uh, in case you're not knowing in nine 11, 2001, uh, the planes, some planes hijacked by terrorists hit, uh, the world trade center hit the Pentagon and crash landed in a field in Philadelphia, in, uh, Pennsylvania. And this is probably in our lifetime, years of mine, Clayton, this is probably the defining moment in history for oh, us. Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. I mean, there was nothing, it seemed like a really bad movie was happening in real life. Certainly. It, um, yeah, there was no, I think there's been nothing like it before or since in my lifetime. So I was going through um, the NFL Century by Joe Horrigan again today, looking at how Paul Tagliabue uh, who was the NFL commissioner at the time dealt with it. And I thought I would share it with you because it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know this until I got through Michael McCambridge's book on the America's game. He mm -hmm. actually worked in the Pentagon. I didn't realize that. I, I didn't either. And, and taking that, uh, you know, he, he dealt with probably very similar to how you deal with things when it comes to analytical uh, thinking with your football, but also with history. Mm -hmm. uh, he knew, that something big is going to happen because of this. So what mm -hmm. happened is a, he is talking to somebody about 
he's on the phone with somebody and one of his uh, assistants come in and said, a plane hit the World Trade Center. So they turn on the TV and look, it's just down the street from them, really. Yeah. And uh, so he ended up calling uh, Upshaw, Gene Upshaw. My my, my mind went blank. Yeah, it was Gene Upshaw. They called him. The NFLPA president at the time? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, the NFLPA. And uh, he was down in Washington. And he Hmm. drives by and he sees the Pentagon on fire. Wow. And you're just like, wow, how is this the case? And, and but the but the bad thing is, the NFL had two people, uh, two relatives of workers, a husband and wife, basically, who died mm-hmm. in the uh, in the in the destruction of the World Trade Center. You're looking at, I know about Rick, Rick Pitino's uh, brother-in-law, who was his best friend, I believe, got killed in it as well. That I didn't know. Uh, yeah, because I, I think he wrote a book about that, about his brother-in-law, I believe. No, maybe I'm remembering that incorrectly, but I think a number of years ago he did. Oh, my goodness. Oh, what, How many died in that? Was it around 3,000? 3,000, something. Yeah, that's, that's always the number that pops into my head. And that's not just counting the World Trade Center. That's counting the Pentagon. And I think it's. I think that's the whole, yeah, the whole shebang. Um, but what happened is uh, Paul Tagliabue said, you know what, we're going to reschedule the games. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of what why he did that was back in 1963 mm-hmm. uh, when, yes. when Kennedy was shot, uh, the, uh, the, the commissioner at that time did not cancel the games, and he regretted it. Uh, Pete Rozelle, and that's one of the few things that he did wrong. Yes, so, well, and it was particularly, I mean, there's the, I can't think of the author of it, but there's a history of the Cowboys I read a number of years ago, which talks about because it happened in Dallas and Dallas got such a bad reputation as a result yes. of it, the Cowboys particularly hated that they had to play that Sunday, that they thought it was really just bad PR for their franchise because, you know, this intense focus on Dallas again for a football game. I mean, they really, Tex Schramm, Landry, all those guys really did not want to play a game that Sunday. You're looking at, two events that take place and one uh, commissioner doing it one way and another commissioner doing another. But what got me, and I didn't know this is that the giants had played a game that night before it was Monday night or Sunday night Mm -hmm. or Monday night, one of the two, I can't remember the exact, was it a Tuesday that that took place? It was a Tuesday. Yep. Okay. So it was Monday night. They got on a plane, flew back to New York. And I want to say the plane next to them as they taxied in was the plane that flew into the uh, world trade center. I, I didn't realize that. That's incredible. I had no idea. Michael Strahan was talking about that in an interview that it, they were right next to it. And he said that uh, him and Jason Seahorn, you know, when they were talking about, should we play the game? He said, guys, you, you may see it on the news. We're looking across the, the bay and seeing the smoke rising up from the place where the two towers were. We're not going to play this game. Yeah. But, uh, you know, how did, in in your opinion, how did – football specifically football because that was really what was playing at the time help a nation heal well i think one thing i mean this may be a little bit of a tangent but one thing in the aftermath of that once america gets involved in afghanistan and then in iraq again i think the nfl did a fantastic job supporting veterans and the wounded warriors project that they made that a real hallmark of their of their their um i guess uh public charity work so in the aftermath of that the league certainly embraces Um, looking after soldiers. Not that they hadn't been involved with the USO and things before that. I mean, there was always the video feeds from the guys overseas. You know, we're watching the Thanksgiving game, waving at our families. 
but, but, but by making a financial investment in, in organizations like the Wounded Warrior Project, I think the NFL created a very permanent connection between um, veterans of the armed service and then the NFL through that in terms of their continuing commitment to that. Something that, that seems like all of the major professional sports leagues have done over time, but it seems most pronounced in the NFL to me that relationship between, between veterans of particularly the more recent uh, foreign conflicts um, and, and the league itself. Um, in terms of the immediate aftermath of 9-11, I think it was very helpful simply to have games going again. I mean, I guess baseball got going a little more quickly than they did. I believe the first major public event right after 9-11 that was in any way like a sporting event was actually the WWE. Like three nights later, they did, um, I think they did like, I don't know, are you a wrestling fan? or uh, Back in the day when it was WWF. Yeah, like you know, SmackDown was like their like. Yeah, their, yeah. I think that I think SmackDown was the first live public event after nine eleven, and they were basically like, they're not going to scare us. We're going to have our event, and they had you know very intense security and stuff. But they had an event like like on September fourteenth or fifteenth or something like that. I mean, it took the other leagues. I think I think it was prudent for the other leagues to wait, as as you were describing. But uh, I think certainly just having the games going again, even though there was enhanced security, and I think for many years, and I think in some ways, the intense security that still exists at a lot of sporting events is still a product of that. Do you think um, that the uh, security has kind of, I wouldn't say lapsed or been lax, but it's not as strict as it was in two thousand and one. No, certainly not. I mean, when one goes to the, to the airport, obviously. Oh, yeah, but absolutely. At sporting events, I for, for a couple of years, going to whether it was a football game or a baseball game, I mean, it was it was pretty intense uh, for for a time. But it, it seems to me like it was it was probably necessary considering the circumstances, and fans persevered, and, and the game did as well. And the NFL got has simply just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over time, and I think become more central in the culture in some ways than it ever has. As things have become more fragmented, as people have cut the cables, you know, as, you know, there's all these little pockets of interest that, you know, half a million people listen to this podcast and 200,000 people watch this show and a million people watch this other show. The NFL is really, I think, the last true part of, like, the last true element of mass culture. There's 25, 30 million people watching NFL games, 50, 60 million people watching playoff games. There's nothing else in the culture really like that at the time because people are kind of just watching everything at their own schedule. Even things that are really popular just don't have the centrality of interest that a live NFL game does. So I, I think in terms of serving as a cultural unifying force, there's almost nothing like the NFL that still exists. Now that is uh, that's so true. Uh, I want to say that here in uh, going through Joe Horgan's book again, he said that the game that happened they missed that week. The next game, the Giants went down to Kansas City and uh, they were passing hats to help mm-hmm. the, the the people yeah. who died during that. And they <clears throat> they basically said, you know, we're not Chiefs, we're not Giants, we're Americans. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that the Super Bowl that followed that was the Super Bowl that Bob Kraft said, we're all Patriots. Yeah, the Rams Patriots, I believe, yeah. And because you had the, I think you had like the Paul McCartney and yeah. Bono or something. I think those were, and now, they had like that, the American. That was, I always thought it was funny that we're getting Irish men to sing about American tragedy. Yes, uh, yeah, that is, was kind of strange. I agree. But I that seeing the list come down from the sky like that, oh, mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, it was very moving. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you weren't moved by that, you, you don't have a pulse. Yeah. Now I do have one other one other thing I want to talk to. And I if it was me, I would have had like the New York 
police department band or something be like the halftime what is how i would have done it you know you you have some good american rockers you could have put sure brought in bruce springsteen and bon tom petty or whatever yeah you know tom petty yeah um i was about to say dave matthews which is the greatest but he is south african so i don't think that would work he was he born in he was born in south africa he was Really, I, I I'm very ignorant of his uh, of no, his life, but okay. See, you and I, we we need to go back and start talking about things. But he, uh, a couple of years ago, I got the chance to go to Charlottesville, Virginia, to see some of the areas. And my wife said, "What are we doing?" I'm like, "Well, we're looking at history. Dave Matthews played here," and she's like, "Oh." I knew he was connected with UVA, but I, I didn't realize he was from South Africa originally. Well, his parents were. That's. Anyway, oh, interesting. Long story, long story short, but you I'm know, gonna have, I'm gonna go read the Wikipedia article after this. You 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 do that, and and when you want to talk about good music uh, under the table and dreaming, we'll talk. Oh, it's about a great it. record. Yeah, I like that record a lot. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you called it a record, Clayton. You and man, we're law we're, we're we're separated from birth. You called it a record. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. We 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 are. But I got one more thing for you. Uh, World War Two. Yes. Uh, December seventh, nineteen forty one. Uh, Pearl Harbor, which took place, I want to say, at 7 o'clock. Yeah, it was early in the morning, yeah. Yeah, they were basically, uh, people were, they weren't going to wake up. It's Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. There's no war. People are sleeping in, and the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. But you jump ahead a few hours in time zone, you you go to the East Coast, and you have football being Mm -hmm. played. And if I remember correctly, uh, people didn't know what was going on until uh, the the announcer said, "Would such and such major or such and such colonel please come to the come here?" Mm-hmm. And you started getting people being called. Uh, I want to say at a Bills game, they might have been called in. Well, um, what I read is um, in uh, I was looking. I was actually rereading this book recently. John Eisenberg's The League. I don't know. Are you familiar with this book? Uh it's if, if no. you, he'd be a great guy to ask on your show. It's a fantastic book about the basically it's about the NFL from like from Canton, Ohio, nineteen twenty up until like nineteen fifties. Essentially, it's about the early founders of the league. Essentially, and he's got a bit in there about I think the Giants were playing in, in Washington. That, and, that was what um, I was thinking. Yes, yes. And like there was like, will all you know armed service personnel report to their stations after the game? Kind of thing, you know. It, uh, I mean, it was, it, and, and guys just started leaving because obviously you're in Washington. There's a lot of armed service people there, and, and, and people started leaving as a result of that. And I mean, it, uh, yeah, had that direct impact on the game. Um, I mean, World War II had such a dramatic impact on the NFL too. I mean, it almost put several several teams out of business. I mean, you had the combination Steagles with the Eagles and uh, Steelers playing together. You had the for one year, the pit cards with the Chicago Cardinals and Pittsburgh Steelers combining into one team. So the league was on very tough financial uh, financial footing for for a number of years during the uh, during the war. But uh, I mean, the league almost stopped playing in 1942. Some of the some of the major figures in the league thought they should should cool it for a couple of years. But uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the commissioner of baseball, wrote a letter to Franklin Roosevelt asking what he thought. And he basically said, keep playing. It's good for the morale of people on the home front. It's called, I believe it's called the green light letter. And the NFL basically said, okay, if the baseball's playing, we're going to keep playing too. Their rosters were certainly depleted. Some teams had just a handful of guys who were legitimate pros on them for much of the war. But uh, pro football found a way to persevere and actually drew fairly good crowds in a number of cities throughout the war. What Bronco Nagurski, didn't he come back and play? 
yes, Bronco Nagurski came back and played. You had guys like George Hallis, who was like, I think he was stationed in Kansas or something, who would like, if he was close enough, you know, for like a one day trade ride, would um, come back to like, you know, work with the work with the Bears. You had, I mean, the whole thing with the Steagles, with the combination of the Steelers and the Eagles, they played in Philadelphia, this team, for most of their games because you had so many guys who were in the Navy who were stationed at the Philadelphia Navy Yard there that it was an easy place that those guys could go do their duty and then play in the games on Sunday. Uh, well, you had this combined uh, Steelers and Eagles roster. So the league made a lot of flexible accommodations, sort of like now in some respects, that made it possible for the league to continue to exist. Do you think that uh, if we just today – Mm-hmm. You know, uh, President Trump or President Biden, either one, says we just have to shut everything down, sports, everything else. How would you think that this country would, would react to that? I sort of think the toothpaste is out of the tube on that at this point because there's been for, for I guess, really five or six months now, there's been a way found to play professional sports. I think it will be very tough to shut things down completely again. I think certain leagues may happen. I was actually kind of fearful to college basketball after, I got to be honest, I can't think of the guy's name from Florida, had the heart thing who, you know, when he, you know, had had that condition during the game. If that had got tied back to COVID, I had some concern that they were going to shut college basketball down as a result of that. It doesn't seem to have happened, but I, I think there will be some, until things are back to relatively normal, there will at least be some games being played between now and then. So, but, but do you, do you feel that if we didn't have sports, you know, we were shut down in March, April, mm-hmm. May, mm-hmm. sort of in June, July and on, if we didn't have baseball or basketball or, or football or yeah. racing, what would it be like? I think I think it would be very tough for a lot of people psychologically. I know it would certainly would for me. I mean, having these sporting events to look forward to has certainly been helpful, you know, helpful in my life. And I and, and many people I've spoken with, I think, are, are feeling the same way about it. For me, because football is my favorite sport, that's been the most central one. Um, I remember sitting around in September watching a game saying, this is the most normal I've felt since, since March, just sitting around being mad about, you know, the Jets, of course, losing. Um, I, I didn't think about anything for three hours other than, um, you know, how, what a bad defense Greg Williams had put on the field. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think, I think having a sense of normalcy has, has um, been one of the great things about professional sports over the past few months, uh, that at least it gives a semblance of that. And we looked at, you know, four, four specific, we could talk about several more like Katrina. Sure. Um, we talk about that, but uh, Clayton, I, I want to appreciate, I appreciate your, your, uh, knowledge and your, your opinions. And I appreciate you coming on tonight. Oh, it's been my genuine pleasure. I'm happy to anytime. And I love the podcast and, uh, I look forward to coming on again sometime soon. It's been great, great fun talking with you. And, uh, plug your, uh, plug your book again and plug your, uh, your Twitter page. Sure. Uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at C-L-A-Y-T-O-N-T-R-U-T-O-R at Clayton Truder. I talk about a wide range of sports. Uh, a lot of sports history, Cincinnati athletics, which I, I cover for SB Nation. I write book reviews for a number of websites, and I publish those on, on Twitter as well. Um, and I have a book coming out this fall uh, with the University of Nebraska Press about the history of professional sports in Atlanta. It's mostly about the 1960s and 1970s. I'll be having a more formal de- more formal details and announcement coming very soon regarding that. So please yep. uh, follow me, and I'll. I'll keep you all up to date on that. Yeah, uh, thank you for your time. Now tag me when you when you get that and we'll have that out on my on my page too.
a fantastic jeremy thank thank you so much clayton thank you so much and uh, this is what football is all about folks is bringing people together thank you clayton indeed have a nice evening this podcast is part of the sports history network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport you can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com